Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, April the 29th, 2022. It is currently 8.18 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live two stories above a street right here in Abilene, Texas. As always, thank you so very much for tuning in. Now, I know it's 2022. I know it's April the 29th, 2022, because I've already told you that. But even though it's April 29th, 2022, we're going to go way back in time. We're going to go over 500 years into the past, and we're going to spend some time with Thomas Akempis in his famous book, of the imitation of Christ or the imitation of Christ, depending on your particular edition of the book. We've been working on this book now for a few years. The last time, you see, the last time we discussed this book in a podcast episode, it was on April the 24th, 2022, and we did an episode entitled Divine Comfort versus Human Comfort, Part 3. And in that episode, we concluded chapter 9 of The Imitation of Christ, or I should say book 2, chapter 9 of The Imitation of Christ, which which dealt with the idea of divine comfort versus human comfort. We we did a lot of discussing that about that. I, I hope that it was beneficial to everyone. Again, every chapter of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis is just filled with just so much, just, it's almost like every word is just filled with so much spiritual food that you could spend literally weeks and months just really taking apart every sentence, every paragraph. There's just so much. Not that we always agree with the theology, not that we always agree with the conclusions, but it gives you so much to spend time thinking about and meditating on, and that was the original purpose of this entire series of The Imitation of Christ. I knew when the pandemic started that it was going to turn into arguing and debating and conspiracy theories and yelling and complaining. And what was going to happen is instead of the church using this as an opportunity to focus on our spiritual lives, it was going to turn into a situation where the church was going to find itself being distracted. So I was like, hey, everyone get a copy of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, and let's focus on that. And let's be honest, the majority of people said no. (laughs) Okay. There were our... There have been some very committed and dedicated listeners who have been with us through this entire journey, and I want to thank them very much because they have continued to provide just enough encouragement to keep me going because there's been plenty of times I'll look at the numbers and go, you know what, this whole series of The Imitation of Christ, most people aren't that interested in it. I know what I could do. I could turn on the microphone and talk about some conspiracy theory or some controversy, or I could talk about COVID, or I could talk about mask mandates, and I would get, you know, a thousand downloads. Or I could turn on the microphone and say, let's open up our copies of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, and let's discuss this very important book, uh, that a, a book that's been very important in church history, and I'm going to get far less. And so there's times you're you're tempted to chase the numbers. There, there's times you're like, well, I could get a far more downloads doing the other, but I know I don't want to chase controversy and chase numbers. I want to provide people spiritual food. I want to, I want to provide you those things that will help you set your affection on things above. Now, yes, 
There are times where it's completely appropriate to turn on this microphone to talk about things in the news, to talk about things going on in the world. But I want to make sure that the that in a sense, I don't even want to be completely balanced. I want to be unbalanced, but I want to be unbalanced to the side where we're focusing on Bible study, devotionals, and that type of content. So that's why we we it's why I continue to press forward. Whether popular or unpopular, whether people like it or don't like it, it's one of those things where I think it is needful to pick up this book from over 500 years ago, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Turn to book two. Remember, it's broken into four books. And tonight, we come to chapter 10. Chapter 10 of book two of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. If you have not been with us this entire series please go back and listen to it. Again, the easiest way to find all content is the Church One app. That's Church O-N-E, Church O-N-E. When you download download the app, you have to search specifically for Theology Central because it's a generic app that lots of different broadcasters can use. But once you put in Uh, Theology Central, it pulls in from our RSS feed and brings everything in, and there you go. It becomes the Theology Central app, and then you can go to all the individual series, all right? So that's that's the Church One app, and uh, I I think that's that's the easiest way to find all of our content, okay? Um, when, When you're looking for older things, when you're looking for newer things, you can just subscribe to us on any podcast app under the sun, and you can get all the latest. But when you're trying to go, when you're just on a podcast app, you know, just scrolling and scrolling, trying to find stuff. But on Church One, it's all broken into individual series, so it makes it easier. But are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Here we go. The Imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempis. This chapter. Well, I, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to ease into this because uh, I want to make sure that anyone tuning into the live broadcast running a little bit behind, I want to make sure as many people are listening as possible because this chapter begins. I mean, this first paragraph is so powerful. We may not even get past the first paragraph. We may just, I may just drop this spiritual grenade right in your lap because, man, when it explodes, it just leaves you going, wow. That, that's, that's some powerful stuff. Are you ready? Here we go. This chapter is entitled, Gratitude for the Grace of God. Gratitude for the Grace of God. Now, let's just stop right there. Just the title, and I'll just ask a very important question to myself and to you. Honestly, deep down, how much gratitude is present in your life on a daily basis not for your state in life, not for family, home, job, money, food. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with for having gratitude for those things. But how much gratitude is in your life, is present inside of you daily, simply for the grace of God? I think God's grace is something that at first we're extremely grateful for, and over time, we begin to take it for granted. Over time, if things go wrong, we become ungrateful, and we stop being grateful for God's grace. 
right? It's like we get that initial grace and we're like, wonderful, this is the most amazing thing. God's grace saved me. God's grace is awesome. God's grace is wonderful. And then three months later, we're like, okay, well, I know you gave me grace and salvation, but what about this? What about that? I mean, and then we start complaining and grumbling because, well, now we're not happy. Right. I mean, I think that, that we're all, aren't we all prone to this? I don't know if that's the direction Thomas Kempis is going to go, but we'll see. Right. Just the gratitude for the grace of God. That's a powerful concept. But here is the first paragraph. He's going to start with a question. Why seek rest since you are born to trouble? I want you to think about this. Why do you seek rest when you should know that you are born to trouble? Now, the the scripture that he references here is Job chapter 5. Job chapter 5. Let's look look at it really quick. Job chapter 5. Job chapter 5. Job chapter 5, verse 7. Job chapter 5 verse 7, and we read these words, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. This seems to be some kind of an acknowledgement that as a human being, we are born and trouble is a part of that human experience. We are going to experience trial, trouble, difficulty, pain, We're going to experience that. That is just a given. It is a fact of life. So if that is true, then why do you and I find ourselves constantly seeking rest, seeking some kind of escape from the trouble? Even if we escape the trouble right in front of us, there's trouble coming right behind it. And if we escape the trouble coming right behind it, there is trouble coming behind that. It never stops. It's just one uh, one type of trouble after another, after another. Thomas Akempis is like, why are we seeking rest when we should know we are born to trouble? We are born with that being the reality. That's a good question. Now, he goes on. Instead of seeking rest, dispose yourself to patience rather than to comfort. Instead of looking for comfort, instead of looking for rest, instead of looking for escape, what we should want, what we should be committed to is patience. See, he seems to be implying that seeking rest and comfort is a foolish endeavor because whatever rest or comfort you receive based off the current trouble that you are experiencing, it's going to be short-lived because trouble is coming after that. Trouble is something that we are constantly going to experience in some way, shape, or form. So instead of looking for rest, instead of looking for comfort, dispose ourselves to, "I I need patience, that I can endure whatever trouble that may that I may encounter or the next uh, round of trouble that is surely on its way. Now, what are you more desiring? Patience or comfort? What do you look for? Patience or rest? Now, he goes on to say it this way. Dispose yourself to patience 
rather than to comfort and to the bearing of the cross rather than to gladness. Wow. What? What an absolutely just, I don't even have words for it. Completely opposite to the way we think and the way we we look at life. This is so like, it's so radical. This is a radical paragraph. Let me read the whole thing here. I'm not going to stop and take it apart now. I want you to put it all together. You really should probably write this quote down so that you can just talk about it and talk about it with people you know, Christians, your small group, your Sunday school class, because I, because I don't think, I think a lot of people would immediately push back on this and disagree with it. But this is, again, the, the, the wisdom of Thomas Akempis, whether we, we, and we don't have to agree with it, but I think he does bring forth some interesting concepts here, and it is very radical. So let's consider it again. Why, and I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to read the whole thing so that we can put it all together. Here we go. Why seek rest since you are born to trouble? Dispose yourself to patience rather than to comfort and to the bearing of the cross rather than to gladness. In other words, we should be committed to patience and bearing the cross, not committing ourselves to trying to to experience gladness, comfort, or rest. Comfort, rest, and gladness should not be what we pursue, but patience and bearing the cross. Or as we talked in, I think, our last, one of the live uh, episodes that we did today, that we should be committed to and consider denying self, dying to self, not following self. So when we pursue comfort and rest and gladness, we do so to make self feel better, to comfort self to please self. And the entire Christian life is the one of denying self and dying to self. So if I'm dying to self and denying self, then I then a dead self, a self a person living with living in self-denial, denying self, then why would we want rest, comfort and gladness? We would rather want patience and bearing the cross so that we can glorify God and and and, and uh grow spiritually. That's a powerful paragraph. Let me read it to you again. Why seek rest? Since you are born to trouble, dispose yourself to patience rather than to comfort and to the bearing of the cross rather than to gladness. Luke 14, 27 is referenced here. I'll just, we'll just look at it. Luke 14, 27. Let me grab my Bible. Luke 14, 27, because my, uh, the book doesn't actually quote the verses. They're just usually put there in parentheses, the reference to it. Luke 14, 27, which reads, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's what we have to be committed to. Now, here's the next paragraph. I almost want to just stop there. It, it feels like that that's something so radical that we need time to process it. We need time to think about it. We need time to, to really let it breathe so that it has a profound impact on us. But let's read the next paragraph. What secular person is there 
who would not willingly receive comfort and spiritual joy if he could always have it? I think that's an important question. What secular person is there who would not willingly receive comfort and spiritual joy if he could always have it? For spiritual comforts exceed all the delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh. For all worldly delights are either vain or unclean, but spiritual delights are only pleasant and honest, sprung from virtues and infused by God into pure minds. All right, now let's take this apart. Now, it is interesting. I, I Now, here I don't know if I completely agree. I think I know what he's trying to say. I think what I know what he's trying to say. You take a secular person, a person who's not religious, don't think about God, not a follower of God, let's just say a lost person. Would they not be willing to receive comfort and spiritual joy if they could just always have it? Hey, you can always have comfort. You can always have spiritual joy. Now, the reason he, now I, there's a part of me that says, well, they wouldn't want spiritual joy. They, they would reject spiritual joy. Um, and I, I kind of stand by that. But I think what he's trying to say, the reason they would be so willing to receive comfort and spiritual joy is because spiritual comforts exceed all the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. But the problem is the secular person would not know that spiritual comforts exceed all the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. So I don't think the secular person would be like, yes, give me, give me that. Now, when he says secular, now remember, this book's written over 500 years ago. I do not have my other translation of this. I wonder if he means, now I'm going to have to do a little bit of speculating here, all right? Now, if you don't know, Thomas Kempis wrote this over 500 years ago. He wrote it from a Catholic monastery. So, I wonder if what Thomas Akempis is referring to as the secular person is the person who may be a believer, but who has not given himself over to live in a monastery and basically given himself to full, you know, a, 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 an entire life devoted to prayer and spiritual growth. Well, if, if that's the kind of person we're talking about, well, I think it would be somewhat true that, that the secular person, the person not living in a monastery, who's a believer, they, would they not be willing to receive comfort and spiritual joy? Uh, because spiritual comforts exceed all the delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh. Well, that, that would make sense. That's a believer who would understand, wait a minute, spiritual comfort exceeds all of these other things. They would at least understand that theoretically, that yes, spiritual joy is better than the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. They would at least know that theoretically. I don't know if they know that practically. So, so let's take this apart a couple of different ways. First, let's ask ourselves, right? If, if you are not full-time minister, if you're not, you know, have dedicated your life to full-time ministry, then we'll just say you are, we'll refer to this as a lay person, a secular person who has to go do their quote-unquote secular job. Now, I don't like that distinguish, distinguishing things between secular and sacred because I think even in, because that seems to somehow, okay, well, I have uh, Siri once again talking to us, Okay. I, no, okay. I have no idea, idea why Siri is once again. I'm going to have to turn off that iPad. It just keeps turning itself on. That's crazy. But so let's do it this way. Let's consider for a second 
And, and the reason I don't like this distinction between secular and sacred is because it it seems to indicate or it seems to give the idea that when you're going to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, doing whatever you're doing, working in a hospital, doctor's office, uh, cleaning houses, construction worker, bus driver, it doesn't matter what you're doing, doesn't matter how significant the job is from an earthly perspective or insignificant the job is from an earthly perspective. When we draw a distinction between secular and sacred, we're almost seeming to say, well, that person going to the church, that person on the mission field, that person giving themselves to full-time ministry, their job somehow is more glorifying to God than the quote-unquote secular job. And I, and I think that that's a bad way of looking at it. No matter what we do, no matter what job we have, it is an act of worship because we are declaring God worthy in the way we conduct ourselves in that job. We do it for his glory and his honor. So it is still a form of ministry. So I don't like to refer to that as secular. I like to refer to that as just a, you're just not in full-time ministry. But why even then you're still in full-time ministry because whatever you're doing, you're still supposed to be doing things for ministry. You're just not in uh, you're, you're just not in full-time church work. You're not in full-time, you're not, you're not doing it that way, but you're still involved in worship and ministry and glorifying God. So I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of that, of that distinction, but, but let's just say for argument's sake, you're the, you're the secular person in this illustration that Thomas Akempis is putting forth. You're someone in this case you you live outside of the monastery and you go to work and you have to deal with all the 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 difficulties and trials and responsibilities of normal outside of church life if is that if that is, is that a, the best way i can explain it now so we are describing you all right now do you understand i mean deep down now you may know this theoretically but deep down do you truly believe that spiritual comfort exceeds all the delights of the world and all the pleasures of the flesh. Do you deep down truly believe that spiritual comfort exceeds all the delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh? Do you truly believe that? Now, I think Thomas Akempis could argue well, if you truly believe spiritual comfort exceeds all the delights of the world and all the pleasures of the flesh, now remember this over 500 years ago, then you would sacrifice all of that and go join a monastery, right? In other words, you would give yourself completely to spiritual things and you wouldn't worry about all of these other things. So is he indicating that you that you don't really believe that, that the secular person, see, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how he's, there's a lot of ways of looking at this. There's a lot of, I don't know exactly which way he's going. Let's, let's read all of it and see if it plays itself out because it just seems so weird to me. Because if, if the, I mean, I have to raise that question. If the secular person truly believes that spiritual comfort exceeds all delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh, you think that would have a profound impact in how they live their life, what they do, what they buy, because they would be just constantly looking to spiritual things because they would know it would it, it surpasses all the delights of the world and all the pleasures of the flesh. But clearly the average Christian, the average church member, even the average pastor, we, we, we spend a lot of time pursuing worldly delights 
and pleasures of the flesh. So, so let's read this again. What? So he asks kind of a theoretical question, a rhetorical question, which seems that the answer would be an affirmative. What secular person is there who would not willingly receive comfort and spiritual joy if he could always have it? He, he seems to imply that any secular person would be like, yes, give me that spiritual comfort. Give me, uh, give me that comfort and spiritual joy. Give me that comfort and spiritual joy because clearly that's better than anything the world has. But the average person, the average lost person in the world would never say that. The average person in the world would not think that spiritual joy and spiritual comfort exceeds the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. The people in the world are committed to the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. So it's just, it, this is written very well. Let's see where he goes with this. Next, he says, For all worldly delights are either vain or unclean, but spiritual delights are only pleasant and honest, sprung from virtues and infused by God into pure minds. So he seems to imply here that spiritual delight or spiritual joy are only pleasant and honest and they spring from virtue and infused by God into pure minds. In other words, it seems that you have to be, you have to have virtue and you have to have a pure mind, then you get to experience the spiritual comfort. Huh, I... This is an interesting paragraph here. The first paragraph is just absolutely just like, boom. It's like gold. The next paragraph, there's gold in it, but we have to do a lot of digging around to try to figure out exactly what Thomas and Kim. He's like, the first paragraph, he puts the gold on the top of the surface. The second paragraph, he buries it, and you have to go, wait, what exactly are you trying to say here? So let's take it apart again, all right? And I know, I know this may, you're, you, I know you may be like, well, this is a little confusing. I agree, it is a little confusing. So let's, let's continue to work on this again. So, so what secular person? That's where things kind of get thrown off in my mind, because I think he's referring to, he has to be referring to at least some kind of a believer because this person understands that spiritual comfort exceeds everything else. And the average lost person would not understand that. So he has to be referring to a believer who's not in the monastery. And that if you ask them, hey, would you be, would you willingly receive comfort and spiritual joy? And if, if you could have it all the time, and they'd be like, absolutely, give me this because I, because I know it's far better than anything the world has to offer. So clearly that can't be referring to a lost person because a lost person would never think that way. But then the question is, do believers really believe that spiritual comforts exceed all the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh? They may believe that sitting in the pew on Sunday morning. I'm not so sure they believe that Monday afternoon. I don't even know if they believe that by Sunday night. I don't even know if they believe that by Sunday afternoon. Because I know that many people on Sunday afternoon, you know what their greatest delight is? You know what their greatest pleasure is? Taking a nap. They find great delight and they find great pleasure in satisfying the flesh desire for sleep. 
Instead of saying, no, no, it's Sunday, what I would find the greatest pleasure and the greatest comfort is to spend this Sunday afternoon when I don't have to work, listening to sermons, reading my Bible, praying. No, they would be. So I think, I think this is a theoretical concept. I don't know if people really believe it. It just seems weird that he, that Thomas Akempis says that the, the, the secular person would be more than happy to receive this, but I just don't. And he seems to imply they would do so because they know it's greater than worldly pleasure, than uh, the delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh. And I just, I don't know that. Then he goes on to say, for all worldly delights are either vain or unclean. That is true. All worldly delights are either vain or unclean. Vain in the sense that they're meaningless, they're empty because they're just going to end, they're going to go away, or they're just sinful. Spiritual delights, though, are only pleasant and honest, sprung from virtue and infused by God into pure minds. So he seems to imply that the only way you're going to get this spiritual delight is that you you have to be in the right spiritual condition in which to obtain it. But then he says this really crazy thing in the next very small, it's almost a sentence. These divine comforts can no man always enjoy according to his desire for the time of temptation ceases not. So we cannot always have this divine comfort. We cannot always have it because the time of temptation never stops. So because we're constantly tempted, meaning that we will throw away, ignore the divine comfort, the divine joy, the spiritual joy, and we will ultimately look to the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. So we can never truly have divine comfort and spiritual joy continually because temptation never stops. So we constantly throw away or turn from spiritual comfort and spiritual joy, and we turn to the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. He goes on with the next sentence. But false freedom of mind and great confidence of ourselves is very contrary to the heavenly visitation. So what we have a tendency to do is we somehow think we're free. We sometimes think we have great confidence in ourselves. And this is all contrary to the to actually, I guess, God's grace, God's presence. God does well for us in giving the grace of comfort, but man does evil in not returning all again unto God with thanksgiving. And therefore, the gifts of grace cannot flow in us because we are unthankful to the giver and do not return them wholly to the head fountain. All right, so let's stop right here. Let's put this all together. This is a very interesting chapter. Very interesting chapter. So we start with this just amazing first little paragraph. Why do we seek rest when we're born to trouble? There's no point in seeking rest because trouble, you can seek it, whatever rest you get now, more trouble is coming. Instead of seeking rest, commit yourself, dispose yourself to patience rather than to comfort Bearing the cross rather than gladness. So what you should care most about is having patience and bearing the cross, and you should desire those over comfort and gladness. Then he poses kind of a rhetorical question. What secular person out there 
would not willingly receive comfort and spiritual joy if he could always have it. In other words, any, again, he calls them secular person, any lay person, any just average Christian should be more than wanting and ready to receive comfort and spiritual joy if they could always have it. We, that we should long for that. And the reason we should is because spiritual comfort exceeds all the delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh. That like if we could just say, give me comfort and spiritual joy and let me have it all the time, we, we, sh- we would immediately say, yes, give me that because we know that it exceeds the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. Because the delights of the world are either vain or unclean, but spiritual delights are only pleasant and and honest, sprung from virtues and infused by God into pure minds. But then we should realize these divine comforts can no man always enjoy. So we're never, so I think what he's trying to do here is saying, look, even though spiritual comfort, even though comfort and spiritual joy is better than anything the world has to offer, it's, it's, it's absolutely the best. Even though that is true, and even though there's a part of us that would say, give me that, in reality, that's not what we should seek. We should not seek a constant a constant reception of comfort and spiritual joy, because in the first paragraph, he makes it clear that what we should commit ourselves to is patient, patience rather than comfort, and bearing the cross rather than gladness. Even though spiritual comfort and spiritual joy far exceeds the, the things of the world, we should still be more committed to patience and bearing the cross because no matter how much comfort we got, trouble's going to keep coming, difficulty's going to keep coming. And not only that, these divine comforts cannot always remain because that well, temptation never stops. And the temptation is that we, sooner or later, will set aside that divine comfort and that divine joy for the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. And then he says this, God does well for us in giving uh, the grace of comfort. Whenever we do receive comfort, that's, that's, that's an amazing thing because it's grace. Any comfort we receive is, is because of God's grace. But man... This is what we typically do. We are we do evil and not returning all again unto God with thanksgiving. God gives us the grace and we don't return it in a sense. We don't return that we don't return that grace with in a sense with thanksgiving. We just take it for granted. We take it for granted. And therefore the gifts of grace cannot flow in us because we are unthankful to the giver and do not return them wholly to the head fountain. That one of the reasons we don't continue to receive this grace is because we won't offer thanksgiving. There's a lot there to unpack. There's a lot there. So here's what I'm going to do. Let me give us something like there, there, that's, it's almost like there, those are a lot of bones to the skeleton. We've tried to put the bones together, but I'm going to try to give us some specific things to like, okay, w- while we're still trying to put the skeleton together, here's some things that we can just grab onto that are somewhat certain. All right. Here seems to be certainty number one 
of Thomas Akempis's perspective here in this chapter. Number one, we as believers should not focus on seeking rest and seeking comfort because trouble is the reality of life. What we should do, instead of seeking rest and comfort, we should commit ourselves to patience and bearing the cross. So number one, don't commit yourself and be focused on rest and comfort. Don't focus on that. Because more comfort, no matter what comfort you receive, no matter what rest you receive, just more trouble is coming, more trouble is coming. So it'll be a never ending cycle of I need rest and I need comfort. And boom, then you get a little rest, you get a little comfort. Here's more trouble. I need more rest and comfort. It'll just be a never ending pursuit of rest and comfort, which you won't grow spiritually. Thomas Akempis says, instead of doing that, commit yourself to patience and bearing the cross. Patience over comfort, bearing the cross over gladness. Right? That that's pretty radical. Right? Don't seek rest and comfort because more trouble is coming. And number two, or, or uh, don't don't seek rest and comfort because more trouble is coming. Number two, focus on patience and bearing the cross. Right? Th- those are two great concepts we can grab onto. Number three. All the delights of the world. And pleasures of the flesh are, I'm going to say, are vain or unclean. All the delights of the world and all the pleasures of the flesh are vain or unclean. I'm just going to throw that concept out there. All delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh are either vain or unclean. I'm just going to throw the concept out there. Whether you truly believe that or not, I'm not here. I mean, I I don't think we truly believe that. I, I don't think we truly believe that. I mean, to, I'll just give you an example from my own life. Okay, so all the all the uh, delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh are either vain or unclean. Meaning, why am I focusing on the delights of the world or the pleasures of the flesh? I should be looking for something spiritual, not these things. But here's the thing. I'll just give you an example today. I got up today. I spent some time listening to music. Well, whether we could ha- you could argue all day whether we could get into an argument about music, but let's just say that the, that at best, this music obviously would be a, 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 a worldly delight. And so it, was, it would be either vain or unclean. It would be it would be a it would be a delight of the world and a pleasure of the flesh. So it's either going to be vain or unclean. But I did that. Now at some point I stopped that. I grabbed my iPad. I opened the Sermons 2.0 app. I opened up my feed and I found a sermon on principles for living. I think is what it was called from Pensacola Christian College. And I listened to that. Took some, a few notes and was like, "Okay, I may, I may use that. For, I may use this as a podcast episode." But there, there, I was listening to God's word. Right? There was I was engaged in a spiritual activity. But guess what? I did as soon as that was over, I returned right back to quote unquote the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. I watched a couple of TV shows. Listened to some more music. Just did a number of things. 
So do I truly believe that spiritual comfort exceeds all of that? I'm not even giving you that as a point. I just want you to know that. I want you to just think about that the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh are either unclean or are either vain or unclean. Therefore, so I'm not even going to put the therefore there. I'm just going to just leave that there as a, as a principle to consider. And then I guess I'll just end lastly with, do you, well, I, could we say it this way? Do you desire patience and a bearing of the cross over the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh? Wow, what a, what a chapter. What a chapter. I'm, I'm just going to stop right there. That's chapter 10, The Imitation of Christ. It's in book two. Look, The Imitation of Christ is free online. You can find it anywhere. You should download it. You should look at that chapter for yourself and just see, just try to take it apart. You see the, you see the beauty in that? Why I try to give everyone, I got tried to get everyone reading this book right at the very beginning of the pandemic. Because if you're sitting there focused on that, you're dealing with heavenly concepts, heavenly things, spiritual things. I said, again, caught up in yelling and screaming and fighting about all of the things going on in the world. I really wanted everyone to, to focus on that. And it, it's, which the book is just as, the book is just as needed today as it's ever been, as it, as it has ever been. Because once again, it gives us these spiritual things. You could, you could sit there and print that chapter out and just read it and reread it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. So if you have any thoughts on it, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And if you keep hearing sounds in the background, it's a, yeah, I have have these. I keep, whenever I'm reading something like that, that's just requiring all this thought, I always say I pick up a pencil. Whenever I start thinking, I need a pencil in my hand. Uh, so I, I keep dropping it and doing that. I apologize. It's not very professional, but there you have it. Man, that, I want to keep reading. I want to keep reading. But, but I, I think, yeah, this is one of those situations. Sometimes people in the church laugh at me because I love doing this with my church is I love leaving everyone sometimes with more questions and answers. This one, I'm leaving you with more questions and answers because there's a lot there to figure out. I still don't, that, that second paragraph is just weird to me. And it'll be interesting if other translations of this clean it up a little bit. I'm going to check uh, some some of my other trans other editions of the book, other translations, and see if they clean it up a little bit because that just seems written very weird. The first paragraph is pure gold, but the the second one there is a little confusing. But we'll see. We'll we'll talk about it next time. So thanks for listening. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. We'll return now back to April 29th, 2022. So we went back in time. We went 500 years in the past, beyond more than 500 years in the past, sat down with Thomas Akempis. We finally had to just say, mm, I don't really understand. I'm a little confused. And now here we're back in April 29th, 2022. And you can use all the resources available to you in 2022 to see if you can better understand what Thomas Akempis had to say. All right. Hopefully you enjoy that exercise. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.